It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Anything But Footy, covering the games all the time, rather than once, every four years. I'm John. And I'm Michael. Coming up in this episode, a special edition with grassroots sport charity, Sported. We look into the future. The future of potentially not only British sports, but the future benefits of what sport can bring to Britain. As a new survey shows the key challenges facing young people at this time, and not having enough money and their mental health, we hear from Olympic champion swimmer Adam Peaty. Sport can offer so, so much and as soon as you take away that sport and that investment sport, again, you're going to be paying that in other ways. And two grassroots volunteer-led organisations also trying to help. It's more of a community project for me. Helping the boys that are struggling mentally or just being able to release their stress and have a group that they can come to and socialise with. People don't realise, because sometimes we get people who say, you know, can't we just have this? And you think, no, we can't just have it. <laughs> it is extremely expensive. We'll be joined by Sported Deputy CEO Tom Burstow and try and find out what the long-term benefits of grassroots sport can be for all of us. As ever, you can let us know what you think and we would be particularly interested in your thoughts on this episode. You can always get in touch with us on Twitter at anythingbutf. You can find us and message us on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find us online, anythingbutfooty.com and you can always drop us an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. This is Anything But Footy, and earlier this year, the UK government confirmed its continued backing into the investment in multi-sport grassroots facilities, all as part of its levelling up agenda. Right across the UK, in England, in Scotland, in Wales and in Northern Ireland, millions of pounds are being poured in, ensuring communities have a high quality and multi-purpose pitches to play on. That, of course, was very welcome across all sports. But with the cost of living crisis continuing to increase pressure, not only on families, but sport clubs and organisations alike, a new survey just out from Sported, the country's largest network of community groups supporting half a million people to reach their full potential, shows the real concerns of grassroots sport. 
Let's hear more from the Deputy CEO, Tom Burstow. So Sported is a membership organisation that supports grassroots groups across the UK. Uh, the focus of those groups is the use of sport intentionally to create positive change in the lives of young people and the communities around them. So using sport intentionally to achieve another goal, whether that's engaging disabled young people or you know improving uh, education attainment or reducing discrimination, those kinds of things. So that could be um, a range of different sports. We support groups that actually use nearly 100 different sports or physical activities in their work. Um, And it could be all sorts of different challenges that young people face in the community, whether that's around their mental health, whether that's around uh, bringing the community together, discrimination, educational attainment, all sorts of different challenges where local people have seen the need um, and the opportunity of using sport to help young people. And Tom, I'm amazed at how much it costs to run a grassroots sports club. It costs a lot. It, it really does. It costs a, a huge amount. And there are various challenges for our group. So 85% of our groups don't own their own facility. Um, so you have the 15% for whom the facility costs are enormous and a, a major challenge. And energy prices have skyrocketed through the cost of living crisis, as you'll know. But then you have the remainder who are reliant on uh, you know, the costs that are given to them by whoever does own the facility. And again, those have risen exponentially for a number of our groups. You've recently unveiled the results of your Ring Sported Community Pulse survey. Tell us, first of all, what that survey is and what it was about. Yeah, so the survey is a really important part of our work. We, we engage with all 3,000 of our groups on a regular basis to encourage them to tell us what's going on for them. You know, what is happening on the ground, as it were. And because so many of our groups operate in areas of deprivation or of particular challenge, or they reach groups that are underrepresented in terms of physical activity or other, other issues within sport, um, we're really keen to hear from them. So the Community Pulse Survey accesses them and speaks to them about what's uh, what's going on. Now, that's been massive for us through the pandemic, first of all, to understand what the specific needs of those groups were. But continually, we find that they are talking to us about the, the needs that they face. So this latest Pulse survey has clearly focused on the issues around the cost of living crisis and just the kinds of challenges that our groups are facing in keeping their doors open, quite frankly. It's such a difficult time on the back of the pandemic um, for groups that typically operate on less than £10,000 a year generally and are run by volunteers. You know, they are small, uh, well-run, but you know, fragile organisations effectively that deliver great results for the community. So we're desperate to understand what it is that they need and then to try and source the support that they need, either directly through our own means by working with big partners like Sport England or Barclays or a variety of others that help us or by helping signpost them to the support that is out there from those that should be able to help them, like national governing bodies, like other parts of the sports sector, or even the local authorities, local councils, whom they tend to find difficult to access funding from. So let's dig into the numbers from the Ring Sporter Community Pulse Survey. You talked about having sustainable and well-run groups, and one of those key headlines, 90% of those surveyed confident that their group will still exist in six months, but... Nearly the same amount, 86%, are also saying they feel there might be a struggle to potentially secure funding. What's your reaction to those two key findings? 
We're not surprised by the numbers who are confident of survival. The people that we work with are incredibly resilient. They're incredibly inspirational, entrepreneurial. So where there's a will, they tend to find a way. Now, that's not the case in all situations. And that doesn't mean anyone should be complacent about their survival. And we see on an annual basis a number of our groups that dissolve, quite frankly, because they run out of money or they lose their lease or, or something triggers a, a collapse of them. Um, I think the, the, the challenge for us has been... The external funding landscape has changed dramatically through the cost of living crisis. If you go back to the COVID pandemic, there were huge amounts of emergency funds that were, were made available via the government, via Sports England, via a large number of companies, trusts and foundations. And actually a number of our groups, despite our dire predictions and their own quite dire predictions, honestly, um, they, they managed through that very well. I think we can't see that same level of funding out there right now. There are very limited new pots of money that are available, understandably. But consequently, that means that groups are having to manage increased costs on either the same amount of money or, in most cases, less. And 72%, that's nearly three quarters of the groups that you surveyed, say they play a significant role in building a stronger sense of community in their local area. And from that result, we can see the importance of trying to maintain, keep and grow this sector? Absolutely right. And at Sport, in our mission, we don't actually mention the word sport. Our role is is trying to ensure that every young person has the opportunity to fulfil their potential. And the mechanism is is sport. And what we know about sport is it's so magnetic. Uh, it provides a real opportunity for lots of young people, but also lots of families, lots of others in the community to get around it and be part of that, which is so significant um, in good times, but even more so in times like the pandemic and the cost of living crisis. So, yes, these clubs these groups are at the very heart of what the community is about and um, we fear that when they are lost um, there's a huge vacuum within which young people are more susceptible to risks that might surround them or just the community is not you know not such a, a happy place so we're desperate to not only keep them open in the short term but to build their sustainability and resilience for the long term too and a key challenge for young people is not having enough money but also worrying about it and the effect that that has on their mental health. Absolutely right. And we've known that for a long time. Uh, 83% of young people came out of uh, the COVID pandemic with their mental health worsened. And we knew before that there was talk of a, a mental health crisis in this country. And again, what we know about these groups is they're a, they're a real haven for young people in terms of uh, feeling safe, secure, trusted, and just to forget about their, their anxieties that, that surround them in other parts of their life. So Whilst it may only be sport, as some people might describe it, it's actually a really vital part of a young person's existence. And we try to communicate that to those that feel that sport is one of those things that can be reduced or minimised. You know, um, who cares about sport when young people aren't uh, not able to eat three square meals a day or, or, you know, the house can't be heated fully? Well, actually, when you speak to young people... You know, their, their sporting group falls pretty quickly behind those things as in terms of its importance in their lives. So we're desperate to use sport as a tool to ensure that young people have a safe space in which they can express themselves and to strengthen their own resilience. And just by the way, I'd, I'd add to that, you know, we also are concerned about the resilience and, and mental health of the group leaders, the volunteers that run these groups. They have been through an enormous amount themselves um, in terms of supporting the young people around them, you know, 
acting in all sorts of ways with very limited funds, providing food banks, getting out to meet young people where they know they're at severe risk. So we also really want to ensure that the volunteer workforce that supports community sport is is supported in the best way possible. And that's a key part of our focus going forward. We are the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. The survey results about the inequality experienced by people with disabilities. That's pretty stark. It really is. And again, we know that from the pandemic as well, that disabled young people were the hardest hit and the last to come back, return to play through uh, as a result of the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, we're really keen to support disabled young people as, as much as we possibly can. Within our network at Sporty, we have over 900 groups that are working with um, disabled young people in some form. And they do an amazing job uh, in all sorts of ways in delivering uh, for and with them. So, yeah, I think um, particularly underrepresented groups uh, where physical activity is a, is a challenge um, are those we should be focused on. And I'm really hopeful uh, through partnerships we have with people like P&G, with, with Nissan, who are specifically focused on disability, that we can enhance the awareness and support of disabled young people in the run up to the Paralympics next year. So what's your message then to these people that we've mentioned, the likes of P&G, Nissan, the NGB Sport England, UK Sport? What are you asking of them? I think there's a really great intention to try and help community sport. I think the challenge is often how that's done. There is lots more that could be done um, in a cost effective way that reaches grassroots in a very, you know, more sustainable way, I think. Um, So we're desperate to work with uh, national governing bodies, um, with the sports councils, not only in England, but across the UK, who have a really significant role in influencing their networks, in encouraging them to better reach out to those groups that they perhaps haven't been able to reach uh, previously and to support them as best they can. At Sported, we've got some good experience of doing that. People like Table Tennis England, we've worked with British Cycling, all of whom are looking to reach different audiences and access the community in a a different way. But that takes time, it takes investment, and it takes acknowledgement that that's not something you're able to do on your own. So we're really keen to partner with those that are keen to do so. And finally, whilst issues around the increasing cost of insurances, energy bills, utility bills, rent rises, obviously important, at the heart of this are people and that is who needs your help on a day-to-day basis it really is and we know that sport helps people on a day-to-day basis with all sorts of challenges that they face so yeah our our role really at sported is to try and help those that are helping others that's really what we're trying to do there's some amazing work that happens within communities that delivers the most incredible outcomes for young people and for the communities around them i know you're speaking to roller dome and the St albans project those are both great examples of just what community sport can deliver well beyond the sport well beyond the individual young person that's reached and we're really excited about the growth of that intentional use of sport for change and and we want to do anything we can to encourage uh, that by whatever means. Tom Burstow, Deputy CEO of Sported, a UK-wide charity promoting fairness and equity for young people through grassroots sport and physical activity. It's worth reminding you of some of the headlines from that survey again, Michael. More than 90% are concerned about the impact of a cost of living increases on their group and young people. Securing funding is the most common priority over the next six months for groups. Around 86% of respondents said that. 
Inequality experienced by young people with disabilities is the most significant in their local area. And nearly three quarters of groups say they play a significant role. And when I say significant, I mean vital or big in building a stronger sense of community. So it's much more than just sport. And in a moment, we'll hear from a couple of groups from across the country who we've been speaking to about how they're making a difference to young people's lives. But first up, Olympic champion swimmer Adam Peaty, who testifies that sport has given him so much more than just medals. I've got a son who is going to go into sports clubs as soon as he can when he's four years old. So he's already, you know, very active. But I won't put any pressure on him to be elite at anything. Sport is incredibly powerful for, one, your mental health, your physical health, your spirit, just keeping alive every single day, going through it. It's time to decompress. And it's a great skill and a great place to learn leadership, you know, working with others, you know, controlling your anger, controlling that emotion. I grew up very angry. <laughs> and, you know, sport has, grow, has grow, showed me that you don't need anger to, to live in this world. You need control with power, with, you know, kind of composure in your life. So sport can offer so, so much. And as soon as you take away that sport and that investment sport, again, as I said, you're going to be paying that in other ways. People's health, the NHS, people's mental health. Um, so you might as well make the investment now. But, you know, they don't seem to understand that. Team GB legend, hoping to go to Paris, of course, for his third Olympic Games next year, Adam Peaty. And pretty damning in the way he thinks the importance of community sports is being utilised in this country. We'll talk more about that coming up later on in the podcast and what it could mean to health and education in this country. We'll also hear from another Olympic champion, arguably one of the greatest ever swimmers that we have produced on these shores. Scotland's finest, Duncan Scott, on the way. But first on this Anything But Footy special, we hear from two groups who are helping young people to overcome barriers and achieve. Hi, my name is Anne-Marie Moore and I'm the founder and CEO for Roller Dome Allscape. Hi, uh, my name is Foyaz Rahman. Um, I run the St Albans Eagles Sports Project. We thought non-traditional sport, bit of fun, maybe they'll be active. We just thought we'd do a taste to see what happened. And we had about 250 people turn up. And it continued since then. We started running clubs and classes, mainly in Ealing and West London. And it grew from there. We are 14 years old this year. And I would say on average, it's about 48,000 children that we spend time with. And that's kind of just the basics of our clubs that we've run that doesn't include things like festivals, community days and things like that. So it's a large number of young people. I saw a lot of the lads that are playing. Some of them have got a great ability, but some of them unfortunately don't have that ability. So it was just going to be a shame. We were going to take a whole group out of football completely from grassroots football. Um, so I took it upon myself to say, okay, in that case, I will run the team if you guys are happy with it. That's, that's how it started rolling off. And the response I got was phenomenal. We started it with great intentions because we just wanted to see what else could we get children and young people doing, get their activity levels up. And you see them coming, shy, lacking confidence, a bit reserved. Then you see them going out the door an hour later, a big smile on their face, sweat on their foreheads. Um, I remember a little boy saying to me, what's this? <laughs> he'd, he'd never perspired like that before. Uh, and and it, it tickled me, but it also showed that a, a change had been made. Something new had happened to him that he'd never experienced before. We've also got children and young people with loads of uh, neurodiversities, for example. So a lot of the autistic children love skating. They love the movement, whether they're verbal or non-verbal. We will do children partially sighted. 
Um, but one of the things we did find is it was affordable. Once you had a pair of skates, you could skate anytime, any place. And also one of the things that was really nice about it is that we found that children and young people who didn't want to engage in team sports, for example, with the winning and the losing and the competitiveness, it was also something they could do completely on their own as well. But they had the ability to choose to do it in a group or do it by themselves. I grew up in Devon uh, and I moved to this country in 2002. I can speak quite of English, but I didn't need to speak English if I was playing sports. That was my way of speaking to people, understanding people, learning the culture, learning the community. Uh, so I saw it firsthand playing football, cricket, athletics, how important it is to one's uh, mental health as well as social uh, understanding of what's going on. So, and through this project, I have been able to enhance that and pass that message to people that, you know, we are a community and we need to work together. And yes, we're going to win some games and we are going to lose a lot more than we probably win. But it's not about the result. It's about people coming together from different backgrounds, different uh, personalities and working a unified goal. Now with the cost of living crisis, parents can't always afford the prices. Um, it's become really difficult. We can't afford to pay utilities, higher, much higher rents. Um, storage, venue hires, everyone's going through it, so everyone's been impinged by it. I'd say the last six months have been extremely tough, but what we've done is decided to use that as an opportunity to look at how we can scale the organisation and how we can sustain ourselves with grant funding, but also sustaining ourselves through another channel of income that we provide for ourselves. Price of living has had a massive impact, not just on our group, uh, but across the whole community um do you pay five pound for a match fee or do you put the heater on for another half an hour so where, when those questions comes up obviously the basic thing is you, you football is a leisure rather than a necessity so with everything going up and unfortunately it's not just the shopping it's also the football pitches the venues that we hire the refs everything's gone up so it has had effect on it I've had to spend a lot of money from my personal wallet to provide, like, for example, buy balls, buy first aid kits, uh, buy bibs and part of the kits as well. But I gave that money willingly. Um, I've never seen a football team where 18 people turn up on a five-a-side pitch because they all want to train, they all want to play. Regardless of the weather, then you're, you're doing something right. Oh, gosh, <laughs> sorted. They've helped me as the founder especially during really difficult times when we've been struggling or we're not sure we can continue it. Um, they've given us guidance, support, trustees, volunteers, funding, the ability to reach out and speak to a person at the end of the phone. I've found it's been very personalised. Um, they remember you, they know you, they remember your organisation, they know what you're doing. The funding that we got from Sported, that 500 enabled, firstly, for me to register the team into the league which then enabled us to say, yeah, we have an objective. We have an aim now. We, we're in the league. Um, so, yeah, the funding from Sporting through Barclays really, really impacted us in sustaining and running the running the football. Um, so, yeah, even the 500 we received helped us a million percent.
Anne-Marie War, CEO of Rollerdome, and Foyers Rutman from the St Albans Eagles Project. This is Anything But Footy. Stay with us. We're going to hear shortly from another Olympic champion. And also we're going to hear from an organisation called Sport for Development Coalition. And they're going to tell us why we need to sit up and take notice of this survey from Sported. Sport at the highest level is a wonderful thing. But we would like a deeper conversation about the role that sport is playing in our communities. And especially those communities in the greatest need. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Anything But Footy and a special episode of the podcast looking at a new survey from Sported on the future of grassroots sport for young people in this country. Now, swimming has been successful in getting more support from UK government with its Save Our Pools campaign. So many facilities have closed over the last few years due to economic pressures, including the one where Scotland swimming superstar Duncan Scott started out in Alloa and the Olympic gold medalist is concerned about the damage done. It's not just the next generation, it's people right here, right now. You know, it's not just in swimming, it's it's leisure facilities, you know, it's not just swimming either. You know, it's you know, it'd be great if more sports spoke out about it. There's a number of leisure facilities where, you know, you've got you know, gyms, squash courts, tennis courts, the rest of it. So um yeah, I think that's the thing, you know, it's where the elderly go for so to socialise, you know, the young go. Um, to join clubs where people come back from injury. Mental health, we know, is, is so important. We learned that through lockdown, and, and exercise is such a, a key component for that. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think it's really worrying, um, you know, because all across the UK, you know, there's so many leisure facilities. And then from the side of that, the subsection of that is swimming pools on their own, you know, really struggling. So, um, yeah, I guess the next generation, but... You know, it's, it's going to hit us, I think, earlier than that even. You know, I think people right here, right now, it's going to be like, oh, geez, they're, they're closing all over the place, um, which is, which is going to be um, which is, which is quite scary. Duncan Scott speaking to this Anything But Footy special with Sported. Let's get more reaction now to the results of the Ring Sported Community Pulse survey and hear how those results can be interpreted moving forward. Hi, I'm Simon Lansley. I am Head of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs for the Sport for Development Coalition. So the coalition is a movement of almost 400 charities, networks, organisations across the UK. The way we define them, I mean, they're, they're, those organisations are overarching thousands of projects and programmes. So it's not so much just delivering sport, and, you know, we innately know that sport can, can do good. It's actually designed interventions to tackle crime, uh, reduce unemployment, improve mental well-being. So it's very targeted and designed and intentional. How important is grassroots sport in this country and having volunteers putting this stuff on? It's one of the great hidden secrets of our society, isn't it? And uh, We all know it. It doesn't sort of, you know, my background is in, in the national media. Um, we'd invariably talk about things that sell newspapers and drive clicks. But we all know they're there. Volunteers are the, are the lifeblood of, of community sport. But also what we're trying to do with the coalition is to build and upskill that. So it's not just about volunteers. It's about sustainable business plans 
that can get people, you know, create opportunities in communities where they're needed. You know, the, the buzzword really is sustainability, and people tend to think of sustainability as, as something about the planet, environmental sustainability. But sustainability is it's in our lives, it's around us. The way we're going to help the future is by everybody taking responsibility for their local community and doing something. And grassroots sport, community sport, and what we call sport for development, it's right there in front of us. And, and it's really exciting, all the networks and the opportunities and the groups that are happening locally, wherever you live, and the things that you can get involved in. In this special episode of Anything But Footy, we've highlighted some of the key findings of the Sported survey. What has been your reaction to what you've seen? Is there things in there that have surprised you or are there things in there that have maybe backed up what you thought you already knew? It's a good question. I mean, the, the first thing is the the resilience of the sector. And obviously during the pandemic, we feared for the people and the places. I think at a, a, a national level and, and Sporting is Active Lives survey will reflect this, that there is, I won't call it a bounce back, but there's a certain amount of resilience. People are aware you need to be active. You need to be... Um, doing something in community and I think that's reflected in the in the survey findings that there is that resilience but I, I think the problem is guys is that if we look at it as like oh it will never go away we're taking for granted what is there and it's building that sustainability that that business side of it and I think that um sport like I said one of the the main networks within the coalition who can help us do that and that's really why we're coming collectively together to say to government look at the role that has been played by community sport and and these people don't take it for granted because there were a lot of them were volunteers they're doing it outside jobs they're doing it through passion let's turn this something in, into something that's sustainable and get more public funding into it not necessarily new public funding which is an important point i'll come on to but let's really sustain this sector because it is a workforce and you know a passionate group of people that are here to support their local communities and it just happens to be through sport the way they're doing it I was going to bring that up because, as we know, with the cost of living crisis, energy bills on the increase, council tax bills on the increase, the price of a basket of shopping on the increase, there is more need to spend more money, but an ever decreasing pot. And where does sport sit within that requirement? So I think it comes back, Michael, to this, the way we perceive of sport's role. And sometimes we get a little bit lost in the sort of the, the, the passion and the evangelism for the power of sport. Isn't this a wonderful thing? Yes, it is broadly. Don't get me wrong. But we have to be more nuanced and targeted than that. So the great thing about sport for development, obviously, I'm completely biased, is that when we're talking about sport for development, we're actually talking about reducing crime. We're actually talking about improving mental well-being. We're actually talking about how can we help young people become more employable? and get the skills, increase their educational attainment. The sport is just the tool to achieve that. And the way we design that intervention is so important. Otherwise, we're wasting our money. My way into this sector came through uh, coaching my son's football team. And I started, I worked with the FA at the time, and I started to think, you know, this is much more than his team winning and losing every week. This is actually about building resilience in young people and enjoyment. And I think that it's understanding sport like that and, and the really targeted way it's helping to achieve things that is what will take us forward. I think that you then, if you thought, think of it in, in the way of government departments, whether that's health, employment, education, criminal justice, we need to be very specific when we talk to those, gov those departments about what we're doing. If we go in and say, oh, it's the power of sport, isn't it wonderful? 
you you won't get a second chance because the, you know they need to put money against proven interventions and when you go in there you can't say hey sports great isn't it wonderful it's going to make everything better you have to say no we're going to use it like this in this way to help this young person in this community because this is what's happened so all we're doing really is being much clearer when we're speaking to non-sports departments about what we intend to do and you know guess what that unlocks funding because it's helping them achieve what they need to achieve so two questions to follow up on that, Simon, and the last one's from me. Firstly, you mentioned about new funding. Is this about new funding or is it about the funding that's already there and being smarter about getting it? And the second part to that question, are government departments listening? The answer is both. Yes, it's, it's new funding. And, and there's, the way that works is if you can show that it's working from what is there already. But now the longer term conversations go, OK, that really works. That That's more effective. And Without going into too much detail, we talk about multiple returns and investments to different government departments. So when you're doing that fund, you're not just stopping the young person moving to crime or antisocial behaviour. You're also improving their educational attainment. You're also improving the chances of them becoming more employable. You're improving their mental well-being. So you're saving money for different government departments. And that that's really the, the innovation point that we're trying to get the message across to government that there's value for different government departments and that's where we believe that we'll unlock new funding by working what's there already and then helping to unlock. And, and I would also say on top of that, you know, this isn't just about government funding. Public finances are really under strain. But this is about working with corporates, foundations, all sorts of different funding areas off the back of that to show that if we come together and we all put something in, potentially smaller amounts, then, you know, you'll unlock greater returns on investment for society. So it's a bit of a win-win for everybody, but it's been a fairly slow train over the last sort of 20 years. But we're getting there, and, and certainly the, the, the funding that we've unlocked across government departments, I think, is, is showing that it's the pennies start to drop. We need to come together around things like sport and other interventions to provide greater value uh, and ultimately um, you know, help younger people for the next generation. Simon Lansley from the Sport for Development Coalition, and that's funded and supported by Sport England, Comic Relief and Laureus Sport for Good. For more on that and the survey results, you can check out lots more at sported.org.uk. Now, Sally Mundy, the CEO of UK Sport, said in 2021 when launching a new strategy, the public wants us to keep the medals coming, winning the right way, better reflecting modern Britain and making more of our achievements to deliver greater impact. And that's how I feel a bit about grassroots. We want the benefits of it, so we must also make sure the fundamentals and the basics are there. We're supporting these groups. We're supporting the volunteers. It isn't all about winning. Of course, it's nice, but it's more about the community and the social interaction, isn't it? And boy, wouldn't it be great if we could have that joined up thinking about sport and health across the wider spectrum, schools, doctors, hospitals, sports clubs and gyms. Completely echo those thoughts. We started this podcast to focus and profile the sports and the sports personalities that we felt didn't get enough credit away from games time. That was our mission statement. And I hope we've redressed that balance a little bit with so-called minority sports, with women's sport, disability sport, all underrepresented as far as we're concerned, as far as coverage goes. But I think our biggest learning and this really came to us during the pandemic was about that importance of grassroots sport, those mass participation events, the Sunday morning football, 
the aqua aerobics, those going to park runs, people utilising local skate parks, whatever that activity might be. And it's those places, those groups and those individuals who, for me, hold the key to unlocking so many of society's big issues. If we were to redesign services at a local level in this country, and this is exactly what you just said, we would bring together education, health and leisure all in one hub, working together, sharing facilities, sharing resources, supporting each other. Children would have breakfast clubs with healthy options. Infrastructure would be in place to make things like walking and cycling safe options to get to and from schools. That, in turn, would take cars off the road. It would build healthy habits. And then in the evening, the weekends, the holidays, those facilities would be available for use by communities for things like social prescribing to help build a fitter and healthier landscape across the nation. Right now, medal moments, as we speak, are being plotted. They're being plotted at the National Cycling Centre. They're being plotted on the Redgrave Pinsent Lake. They're being plotted at the Lee Valley Whitewater Canoe Centre. They're being plotted at the Brownlee Centre in the sport of triathlon. But what the Ring Sporter Community Pulse surveys taught me that it's actually be Foyer's Sunday morning football team or Anne-Marie's roller dome class that is actually taking place that is much more important right now. Sports Social Podcast Network.